Thank you for listening to the Passion Church Podcast. Our mission is to help you win by living a genuine Jesus-filled life. If you are ever in Cameron, Missouri, come and see us and join the Passion Church family. Visit our Facebook page or our website at passionchurchmo.com to find out more about us. If you have your Bible, turn with me to the book of Judges. Judges. I have been studying all day on Noah. <laughs> so you're going, why are you taking us to Judges? I've been studying on Noah, and uh, I was just watching, you know, in such a short amount of time from creation to the time of Noah, how depraved man became and how man's mind was on evil continuously according to the word. So much so that God had lamented, regretted that he even made man. Well, think about that. God regretted it. Now, he knew from the end to the beginning. He went to the end of this before he ever started anything to see how it would turn out. And he still had a moment when he regretted. And so God looked through all the earth and he found a righteous man. Thank God for Noah. Thank God for Noah. We wouldn't be here today. Thank God for Noah or mankind would have been wiped out. Thank God for one man who would stand his ground in a lawless generation. One man who would take the word of God to heart and hold on to it and demand that his family live by the word of God. And of course, you and I know that even in that next generation, his sons did things that were unseemly and released sin into the earth again. But here's the thing. I was looking at all of that and seeing God's great mercy in all of it. And then I was reminded of what Matthew, the 24th chapter, says. Matthew, the 24th chapter, I can't tell you a verse off the top of my head, but you'll find it. Most of you got Google. It goes like this. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as was in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving into marriage and knew not until the day that Noah entered into the ark. And then they were taken by surprise. It took them away. They were carried away by the floodwaters. Now that whole thing, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work on this and, and really put this together and flesh this out for you, and we'll preach it later, but I'm just going to give you my idea right at the moment. Society was so depraved that they thought they were just living life as normal. Is this all right? They thought life was okay, things are good, this is how it is. And they had no inkling and you know that Noah probably suffered some persecution for building a boat in a desert. Not a boat, but a ship in a desert. You know that his message had to be mocked and maligned. There had to be those who told him he was foolish and stupid and ignorant. Yet he held his ground and held to the truth and kept moving forward. But I love the fact that the Word tells us that as the days of Noah were, there's a sign for us to understand that society's mind, did you hear me? Society's mind was bent on evil continuously. 
And that is something that we can look forward to and measure the days in which we're living by what's going on around us in societal living. Is this all right? In society, we, we say it's okay to do a lot of things that the Word of God says is not okay. And we do it to cover up our conscience so we don't have to answer to anybody else. Another place in the Word, it talks about as the days of Noah and the days of Lot. Well, we know in the days of Lot that there was sexual promiscuity loose like nobody's business. And it became a sexually perverse generation. And that generation was destroyed. And God is telling us that at the return of Christ, who has paid the price, got the law and the burden of the law out of our way, that that, that, that same Christ who's coming back has left us a few signs. Yes, Jesus teaches in 20, Matthew 24, there'll be signs in the heavens. Remember how we had the blood moons just a couple years ago? And then remember, we had the eclipse, and there's eclipses that are still to come, and they point to spiritual significance. There's signs in the heavens. Jesus left us the understanding that when you start seeing these things, and you see a society like the society that Noah lived in, that the righteous are few and far between, but the whole of society, not just in America, but around the world, is crying and clamoring for the same thing. Understand this, that the return of the Lord is drawing nigh. Mm. Well, some people say, well, I've heard that all my life. Yes, you have, but it's never been closer than it is now. And never before did we have the signs in the sky that are, that are bringing us to a spiritual significance that great scholars who understand the word in its depths are all pointing, saying, pay attention to what's going on in the sky. Pay attention to what's going on in society around you. Every society that warms up to sexual promiscuity will eventually go through a great judgment. Every society that warms up to societal living and disregards the word of God and the law of God end up in trouble. The word says that as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as was in the days that were before the flood, they were marrying and giving in marriage. Never in, in our history around the world have we seen divorce like we see it today. People are being hurt. People are being torn up. People, people's lives are being, being just ripped apart because oftentimes one or the other or both of those individuals become self-absorbed and caught up in their own way. And they, 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 they get to a place where they, they really have no regard for God nor anyone else nor who they hurt. They only want to satisfy their own itch. They only want to satisfy their own style of living. They only want to be able to do what they want to do without anyone telling them they cannot do it. Is this all right? I uh, didn't really intend to get this intense already, but here we go. In the book of Judges, the 16th chapter... I'll make this quick. I won't stay 
on this. I just want you to just understand the line of thinking that the Lord is leading me down. I sense revival in my spirit. The thing that I'm lamenting most is that I have found myself getting lackadaisical. I have found myself not being as prayerful as I should be. I have found myself not in the word as I should be, realizing that I'm warming up to uh, electronic devices and I'm warming up to things that I shouldn't be warming up to. And so God has been dealing with me that in order for the church to get where it needs to be, we got to start the separation. Revival doesn't happen because God decides one day that he's just going to pour out his spirit because he wants to. Now, he always wants to pour out his presence. He always wants to pour out his spirit, but he has to do it through a people who are hungry and thirsty and desiring and longing for. And so we look at things like, like Elijah on Mount Carmel whenever he called down fire, and we get excited about that, and, and we get stoked about that, and we want to we see that happen again. How many want to see God move with mighty signs and wonders? We want to be like Jesus and walk around being able to reach out and to touch the lame and the halt and the blind and help them to get out of their condition. We want to be able to walk by somebody and give them a timely word just on time that makes a difference for the person who needed to hear that word. We want to walk circumspectly with God. We want to know him as he is. We want to be filled to overflowing with his power and his presence. We want to be powerful in Christ Jesus. We want to walk like him, talk like him, be like him. If that you shout hallelujah. So here it brings me to, to this thought tonight. The reason the church is struggling is because we're distracted. We're a distracted generation. I'm a I'm a pastor in the pulpit. I'm one of the few. Now I'm not trying to be like Elijah and say that I'm the only one, Lord. But I'm one of the few, to be quite honest, who's not warming up to uh, society's new brand of Christianity. I'm not warming up to entertainment-based ministry because I believe that unless you have an encounter with the Holy Spirit himself, all you're going to get is to come to church, get entertained, get your ears tickled, go out and feel like you're okay, and pretty soon we're going to be just like the society of Noah's day when nothing really has to change for us to feel okay with our religious experience and our worldly experience, and they all just melt together in such a way that, that no one can tell me from anybody else. I believe that it's time we stand up and we preach righteousness, holiness, truth, and get back to the basics of the truth of God. The world has had enough entertainment. If, if the church needed to get into the entertainment business, we're in trouble because you can go anywhere at any time in America and get entertained until you're purple. The church can never compete with the world when it comes to entertainment. We're trying real hard. We serve the best coffee in town. I'm not against coffee. I drink coffee. 
But I don't want it to be about things that have nothing to do with eternal lasting value. I want something that I'm going to be able to bring through the gates of glory with me. Souls for my labor. People who've watched my life and been able to glean from it a godly perspective and something that causes them to be able to know that if that old fat boy can do it, I can do it too. Let's give God our all. So Judges, the 16th chapter. How many are familiar with the story of Samson and Delilah? Oh, you got that one, don't you? Samson and Delilah, chapter 16. Mm. Now, you know the story. Samson had a weakness. James tells us very clearly that a man is enticed and tempted when he's pulled away by something he has a desire for, something in him uh, that he won't let go because he, he likes to warm his hands around the fire of his desire. And Samson had a weakness, a desire in him for the ladies. I won't make it, I won't go any further than that. And that was where he had the most trouble and the most struggle in his walk with God. He was a mighty man of God. He could do mighty things. And God gave him outward exploits for people to understand that the God of Israel, Yahweh, was with him. Which is what we want to be. A people that people can, that the world can look from and look at and say, these people know the Lord. Amen? So, we're going to pick up in the middle of the story here. Samson's enemy, the Philistines, knew his weakness for the ladies. And so they paid one of their ladies to cozy up to him in a love affair so that she could glean the secret of his strength. You see, he wasn't a big muscle-bound guy like we see in the movies. The word makes it real clear that his strength was puzzling to his enemies. I mean, if he looked big and strong, they would probably understand why he could tear the gates off of a city and walk away with them. But there was nothing about him that was special to look at, nothing about him that said he was strong. It, it obviously was a divine impartation in his life. Knowing his weakness, the enemy sent in something he would desire. Sound familiar? Your enemy studies your life, and he wants your power, and he wants to render you powerless in your walk with Christ. And so he's constantly studying you to see what your weakness is, what your desire is. And so once he knows what it is, then he places in your pathway something to scratch that little itch in you. I won't be long. Let's pick up with verse 19. He has met her. He has talked to her. He has, uh, she has, he's fallen in love with her. She is feeding his ego, and she has already 
twi- at least twice before. I, have, I didn't go back and read all the context, so forgive me. But at least twice before, she has, she has put him to sleep on her lap and wooed a secret out of him, but he wouldn't tell her the truth. And then she would call for his enemies to come and do to him what it was he revealed was a secret. Now, to lay his head on her lap again, to me, is ludicrous. But the problem is that most of us in our human nature, we love flirting with danger. We love living as close to the edge of getting on the wrong side of God as possible. And so this woman sent in, and little did did, uh, Samson understand that she was paid to be his love interest. She gets him once again into this situation. Hmm. And it actually says that he got so tired of her asking him that finally he revealed the secret in verse 17 that there's been no razor put to his head, and if it does, if he loses the locks of his hair, he will lose his strength. Verse 19. I'm reading out of King James. And she made him sleep upon her knees and she called for a man and she caused him to shave off the seven locks of his head and she began to afflict him and his strength went from him and she said the Philistines are upon thee Samson and he awoke out of his sleep and said I will go out as at other times before and shake myself And he wished not that the Lord was departed from him, but the Philistines took him and put out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with fetters of brass, and he did grind in the prison house. Hmm. I'm going to leave it right there. She tempted him, she tempted him, she tempted him, she tempted him until he got tired and gave up his secret. She's tried to trap him twice before, and yet he flirts with danger again. But this time he gives up the secret. This time he gives over to her his anointing. And by shaving off the locks of his head, the covenant that he had between God from his birth was broken. Now being a covenant breaker, here he stands in a situation of danger, and she tells him, your enemy is upon you. And he had a ritual that every time he went into battle, there was something he did. I don't know what it was, but the word calls it a shaking. He would do something to get himself ready for the battle so he could feel the Spirit of God. And this time he'd played around so much with this temptation that when he went out to shake himself, he didn't even realize that the anointing that rested upon his life had been lifted. 
He shook himself and went into battle ready like at any other time, only this time to be overrun and overtaken by his enemy. He didn't realize the Spirit of God had lifted from his life. (laughs) So what's the point tonight, Pastor? The reason I've been heavy in my spirit, the reason I've been heavy is I know everything God has said. God has promised us such a revival, and there's not one ounce of doubt in me. God has promised that he's going to take care of the financial things. He's promised he's going to do great and wonderful things. He's told us what's coming down the pike. He's told us about the souls. It doesn't surprise me that our book showed up in in prison somewhere in Texas because God can get what he needs to get into the hands of a seeker any place that seeker is if he's looking, longing, thirsting, and hungering for the things of God. That does not surprise me because God has promised me that they're going to come from the north, the south, the east, the west. They're coming here to get revived. They're coming here to get filled up. They're coming here to get fed so that they can go back into their region and take revival with them wherever it is that God has them residing. But they're coming here for training, which means we have a lot of work to do and a short time to do it in. And we can't. I apologize to you. I stand before you tonight and I apologize that I got tired in doing good. I got tired in the business. I got tired in the things that were going on and I let my arms down in the battle and I felt just a little bit like Moses as he's standing there with Aaron and her. I needed someone to prop my arms up and I didn't call for anyone to come and help and I apologize to you but I want you to know tonight no more will I let the enemy lure me into a place like that. No more will I be prayerless. No more will I be in that position. I want you to understand that we're leading the way back into revival. We're going where God has said go. We're doing what God has said do. I don't know if you're with me or not, but if you want to see what God's going to do, then it's time for us to get the distraction out of our life. Here's the point I want you to get tonight. Very, very simple. Samson was so warmed up to his desire, so warmed up to society, laying his head in the lap of the enemy. How often, church, have we laid our head in the lap of the enemy while being stroked by the enemy and soothed in the inner want of our soulish realm, our mind, will, and emotions. And if it feels good, do it. Remember, that came out of the 70s. I'm a child of the 70s. Love the one you're with if you can't be with the one you love, you know. We had all kinds of goofy doctrines in the 70s. And everything has led to a moral landslide. We're in the middle of that landslide now and the product of about the third or fourth generation of a landslide. We got people today that have no regard for God whatsoever. A young generation that doesn't know there is a God, doesn't know there is respect, and doesn't know there are ethics, and doesn't know, doesn't know, doesn't know, doesn't know. We could stand up here and be critical of them, or we could put our finger in the middle of our own chest and say it was my generation that dropped the ball. It's time for my generation to stand up and show them. 
Here's the point I want to get to tonight. So often, we want to just have a church service, a shimmy and a shake, lay hands on somebody and watch them twitch under the power of God and call that a mighty move of God. No, that's just the whipped cream on the top of the cake, ladies and gentlemen. That's not a move of God. That's a manifestation that God's presence showed up and somebody was overwhelmed by him. What we need is a generation who's hungry, thirsty, back on our face, back on our knees, crying out, not losing the sight of what God has said to us. Revival hinges on us. Revival in this region hinges on those who won't give up who won't quit, who won't back down, who won't get lured away by the enemy and lay our head in the lap of the enemy in order to satisfy a momentary want. Samson went out to shake himself. This is what he spiritually does. But this time he went out and he did his shaking. And he didn't know that God was not with him anymore. Passion Church, we cannot come to the place that we get ready for the battle and we call for the shaking and find that God's presence isn't any more with us than someone who's not preaching the truth at all. God's promised us things that's beyond the ability to fathom if we have the strength to believe and respond in obedience. Samson's problem was is he he didn't stay obedient to God. And he flirted with his own desire to the point it trapped him. So here's the punchline tonight. You can't shake yourself if you're sleeping with the enemy. You're not going to bring a shaking to your region if you're sleeping with the enemy. We're not going to change Cameron if we're not sold out lock, stock, and barrel. I came to preach to me tonight. Is that okay? You just get the benefit. How many will covenant with pastor to start shaking off what we want and embrace what God wants? How many will, will, will covenant with me that when the moment comes to stand up for the shaking, We'll be ready. We won't be covenant breakers. We'll be covenant keepers. How many will, will agree with me that it's time for some prayer and it's time for some fasting? How many will agree with me it's time for some obedience? How many want to see God do what God wants to do here? I started to say this earlier, and let me finish it with this. 
Revival doesn't happen just because we get a word. Now, we've got a word, and God's word is a sure thing, but it hinges on our obedience. It hinges on our obedience. Mm. So tonight, I want you to understand this. God's not just going to rain revival on us. But if we hunger and we thirst, if we reach and put the demand on God, then revival will come. Because God wants revival here more than you and I. We're so glad you listened to this message today. Our goal is to bring hope, encouragement, and help you win, all while building God's kingdom. At Passion Church, we believe in community. If you would like to partner with us in prayer or giving, then send us a message on Facebook or through our website at passionchurchmo.com. We'd love to hear how God is impacting your life through this ministry.